You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled, No. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today. Have you ever had anything to do with someone who has a memory loss, such as with Alzheimer's disease? A friend of mine was affected by Alzheimer's when his wife could no longer care for him, and then he was sent to a nursing home. On one occasion when I visited him, he somehow knew that this wasn't the family home he'd lived in for many years, but he had no idea where he was. He did not remember the names of his visitors and sometimes didn't even remember his room number. This was the case with others in that home who had the same condition. The nurses told me that often some of the inmates would be wearing other people's clothes because they were unable to discern which were their own clothes. It was sad to see my friend in this condition. He was alive but no longer remembered who he was and who the people close to him were. And I suspect there are plenty of people in society who are alive and going through the motions of life without knowing who they are and what meaning life has for them. Furthermore, most people do not know the real joy of living because they are trapped in a world of unbelief, wrong ideas and a merry-go-round of just living without knowing who they are and why they are here. One day, Jesus was speaking to a group of Jews. These were very zealous people performing the rites and ceremonies of the Jewish religion, hoping they'd be good enough to be given eternal life. What they did not realise was that no one can ever be good enough to receive eternal life, eternal life that is, and all the rites and ceremonies can achieve nothing, because eternal life is a gift. It cannot be earned. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 points it out quite plainly. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And the next part goes on to explain that anyone's works, their good deeds, the ceremonies, the religious practices, etc. are all a waste of time. Salvation is a gift. Religious rites and ceremonies can be a burden because anyone caught up in that mindset will never know if and when they've done enough. Even if someone goes to church every day and carries out the strictest religious practices, all that is insufficient. Jesus cut through the shroud of mist in their minds when he said to them, then you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that's found in John 8.32. What was that? The truth shall make you free? So where does one find truth? Well, it's in the Word of God, the Bible. It's in the author of the Bible, in Jesus, God the Word. So how does it make one free? 
Well, firstly, we can know that our sins are forgiven. And what a tremendous relief that is. Secondly, we can know why we are here on this planet. What is our purpose in life? Thirdly, we can know that we are not alone. There is a loving God who cares for each and every person. He is our friend and father. And all this knowledge gives peace. And here I'd like to share a story about a religious young man who never had peace until he really committed himself to Christ. His name was Marty Holman, and he was a professor of Japanese studies in the University of Missouri. One of his students helped him put his faith in Christ, and here is Marty's story. He says, Since my late teens, I'd been an active member of a religious tradition that emphasized salvation by works and eternal progression, a belief that through our obedience, we could reach divine perfection. I was always striving to follow every rule. I kept recommitting myself to doing everything and doing it right. I would dismiss any misgivings or doubts that arose in my mind, believing that I just needed to grit my teeth and work harder. Yet a few years ago, after returning from Japan from a university summer program, I started a journey toward despair. I'd gained a lot of weight over the year, and I thought, I have to get myself healthier physically, mentally, and spiritually. My interest with health and fitness had to do with my concerns about mortality, the process I was taught of putting off the bad and becoming increasingly good. I was especially concerned because my wife had been diagnosed with cancer. So I committed myself to exercising and eating better, in addition to doing all the right things I was supposed to do. Part of my exercise regime involved playing racquetball with one of my Japanese language students, Nathan Salmon. We would play five or six days a week, and usually we would have lunch together. I considered myself a Christian, and I knew Nathan was a Christian, but he spoke of Jesus in ways I didn't, and with an understanding I didn't have. As I talked with him, I realized that I was no further than where I started when I set out on this journey of attempted accomplishment. I started to consider ditching this whole religious thing. Certainly, I could be no worse off than if I continued. I was thinking, mulling and stewing about it, but I didn't really consider the possibility that there was another way to do things or that I could actually look elsewhere to see if salvation came through any other means. Nathan was at a Christmas conference in Denver, and I looked at what he had posted on Facebook. Nathan had been in a session about using social media to raise questions and start serious spiritual conversations. After seeing his post, I decided I would look at scripture. 
I began reading in John chapter 6, where the masses turned away from Jesus. He asked his disciples, Are you going to turn away too? And Peter said, Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Even though I might somehow ditch church, the church that I've been trying to be committed to, I could not ditch Jesus Christ. That's when it finally hit me. In all these numberless rules and regulations and formulas, I couldn't give up Jesus. Although I'd prayed many times before, I never prayed the way Christians talked about praying. I knelt down and said, I give up. I surrender my diluted notions that I can save myself and that I can work my way into your grace. I got up off my knees after praying and thought that the world had changed. But the world hadn't changed. I had changed. I now had a reason to live. I changed spiritually, mentally and physically. Before, I'd often sleep in until noon because I'd nothing to look forward to. After trusting in Christ, I now want to get up because it's a whole day and I want to live it. I now realise Jesus offers eternal life to anyone who trusts him. So listeners, in that wonderful book, The Desire of Ages, the author E.G. White insightfully wrote about the Jewish priests, scribes and Pharisees who witnessed Christ's miracles and heard him speak. And she says, The priests were convinced of the divine power of the Saviour. Opportunity was granted them to know the truth and to be profited by the light. Rejected, it would pass away, never to return. By many, the light was rejected, yet it was not given in vain. Many hearts were moved for a time that made no sign. During the Saviour's life, his mission seemed to call forth little response of love from the priests and teachers. But after his ascension, a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Like Marty, the priests and teachers kept on doing the same old round of ceremonies, but although convinced of Jesus' claims to be the Christ, they were afraid to identify with him. It was not until he was murdered on the cross, died and resurrected, that they had the courage to follow him. And I suspect some of you listening to my voice today are just the same. Possibly many of you know the truth, but because of various reasons have not yet determined to step out and step up for Christ. My counsel to you listeners is to not leave it for too long. Be courageous. Make the move, even though there may be some painful consequences. That possibly being the case, there will also be joy and peace because you have done what you know is right. You will become free. 
God is not in the business of making life difficult for you. He wants the very best for you. And because he knows all things, he knows what is best for you. As I consider my own life, I see how God has worked out his plans for me in ways I probably at first did not appreciate. And here is one example. For a time, I was involved in opal mining. No, I did not strike it rich, but later supplied a special type of opal to a business where they bought a lot of opal from me. That is, until they failed to pay for the last two shipments. Debt collectors were unable to extract the money from my clients, so I was left high and dry. One of the associates of that business saw that the company director was acting dishonestly, so he disassociated himself from the business as well. This man, a born salesman, later set up his own business in carbon credits, and within a couple of years, his company was worth half a billion dollars. Now I'm going to stop here and we'll have a little break and I'll go on with my experience straight afterwards. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you? Or the kindness you've shown Lord help me Jesus I've wasted it so Help me Jesus I know what I am But now that I know That I've needed me, Lord, if you think there's a way that I can repay all I've taken from you. Maybe, Lord, I can show someone else what I've been through myself. On my way back to you Lord, help me, Jesus I've wasted it So help me, Jesus I know what I am But now that I know That I've needed so help me, Jesus, my soul's in your hands. 
I've wasted it, so help me, Jesus. I know what I am. But now that I know that I've needed you, so help me, Jesus. My soul's in your My soul's in your hands. So just before the break, I was telling you about an associate of mine in the Opal business who set himself up in the carbon credits business and within a couple of years, his company was worth half a billion dollars. Well, one day he called me to see if I'd be interested in supplying Opal to his clients. We had some meetings to see how it would work, and I would be paid in Bitcoin. There was potential for me to become a very wealthy person, the wealth factor being multiplied by the huge rise in value of Bitcoin. Attractive as the offer was, I felt uneasy about the business, and after reading the performer and praying and thinking about the matter, I decided to refuse the offer. Was this an opportunity lost? Yes, of course. But there is little doubt that I would not be sharing the word of God with you, dear listeners, if I'd taken up this offer. There would have been much stress in my marriage, and probably a lot of stress on me. God knows what is best for us, and if we are willing to give him first place in our lives, we are free and at peace. Here is what God says. We find this statement in Jeremiah 29.11. He says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you hope and a future. And God further adds, Call to me, and I will answer you, and will show you great things and difficult which you don't know. And that's from Jeremiah 33, verse 3. The book of First John has probably more statements about knowing than any other Bible book. And I want to share some of these with you. First one, first John four seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And then there's the following verse He who doesn't love doesn't know God, for God is love. And then in verse sixteen says We know and have believed the love which God has had for us. God is love, and he who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. And then in the next chapter, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. And that's First John 5, verses 2 and 3. It is a fallacy 
that God's commandments have been done away with? The test of love for God is obedience. Now we come to another no. It's found in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 to 11, which is a repeat of the same form in Jeremiah 31 about the new covenant God makes with his people. And it says this, Because finding fault with them, God says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their heart, and I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I want to focus on two significant points from this passage. The old covenant failed not because God messed up, but because the people did. Instead of remaining faithful to God and thereby being blessed by him, they followed the traditions and practices of the surrounding heathen nations and so sinned. Many times God sent prophets to show the people their errors, but by and large they continued to live in sin. So God chose another way. Instead of making an agreement to bless the nation, he made it with individuals. And there is a big difference. God sends the Holy Spirit to convict individuals of their sin and to lead them in the ways of righteousness. We live in the time of the new covenant and God is calling you and me personally to honour him and live according to his will. If we do, he promises eternal life to us. And in my way of thinking, it's completely stupid to reject such a wonderful offer. Now the other point is this. There is thought among some religious groups that the new covenant spelled the end of the necessity to keep the Ten Commandments. But these people fail to recognize what God has said about the new covenant. He said he would put his laws in their minds. Does that sound like his holy laws have been eliminated? No way. It is, as stated in 1 John 5.3, obedience to God's law is proof of an individual's love and respect for God. The law remains unaltered, although some have altered it for their own convenience. To know who our God and Saviour are is a great blessing. And it's my hope and prayer that you too are getting better acquainted with the Lord for your own sakes.
So we've come to the end today, and I wish you personally peace and much joy as you contemplate what I've shared with you today.